open your Bibles up this morning, if you will. We're going to get back into the book of Romans, uh, into the book of Romans today. A great reading this morning by Brother uh, Andy. Surely and greatly appreciated that. And um, <clears throat> so uh, we're looking, we want to get into this message, guys. I, I do. It's, it is, um, it's, I'm going to say it's a little different than what you're normally used to from me. Uh, there is a bit of a lengthy introduction, not near as long as Wednesday night this past uh, week, uh, but, uh, but it's broken up into two segments. We're going to give the, the introduction and lay the foundation on the topic we are, we are bringing this morning, and then we're going to settle as an example of that topic in Luke chapter 23 today. So, I mean, you can go ahead and get your place in Luke 23 and stick a marker there if you would like, uh, but we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 and break down these 14 verses here. Uh, quickly this morning to give us a little clarity on the topic. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible tells me, it tells me very clearly, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtor. I'm sorry. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, beloved, all of the Bible is the Word of God. All 66 books, purified, preserved, and given to us in the AV today, is the Word of God. And, and yet, within the Word of God, there are certain chapters, certain sections, even certain verses, that stand out as great and wonderful, powerful verses. There's chapters in the Bible that stand out as being great chapters simply because of the amount of importance uh, concerning the material and the topic that it covers. Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4, those are two chapters that when you look at, they are highlighted as great chapters in the Word of God. John chapter 3 is another one. We, we understand the most read and known verse in all of the world. John chapter 3 verse 16. John chapter 3 tells us, He must be born again. I was speaking with Kelton the other day. I wanted to do something a little bit different during our um, 
our, our New Year's Day, our New Year's Eve service. We will be partaking of the Lord's table that day. And, and uh, our Sending Church, Calvary and King, uh, every Thanksgiving, they, they do a Thanksgiving service during the week, and they do what's called cardboard testimonies. A cardboard testimony would be such as uh, what Pastor Boyle had on this year was uh, stage three cancer, and then when he turned it over, you know, two years in remission. And these are cardboard testimonies. And, and we were discussing doing something similar to that on the last day of this year on that particular Sunday, meaning maybe we can look back over the 12 months and we can give a cardboard testimony, okay, of what the Lord has done for you this year, beginning the year with XYZ, finishing the year with XYZ. Brother Kelton mentioned what a good opportunity that would have been to uh, also maybe for people to give their personal testimony of salvation. And it made me begin to wonder in our hearts, in our life, what is your personal testimony? I can give you mine. As a matter of fact, what's going to be so joyful for me is on the 31st of December this year, that is my spiritual birthday, the day that I got saved in 1990. Amen? So it's, it's going to be a wonderful. I can give most of you, all of you have heard my testimony of salvation. But beloved, John chapter 3, again, mentioning how great that chapter is, says you must be born again. That's what Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, didn't he? That we're going to speak about some absolutes here in a moment. If you are not born again, you are not saved. You have not always been a Christian. You have not always been saved. I don't care what home you grew up in. It doesn't matter what your bloodline is. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what section of that country is from. Ye must be born Again, that is an absolute truth. And that is spoken in John 3. That's why that chapter is so great. John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17 are four great chapters in the Bible. As 1 Corinthians 15 is as well. They're loaded chapters, guys. It doesn't take away from the rest of the Word of God. But there are just certain chapters in the Bible that stand out amongst the others. In the book of Romans, the great chapter, if you will, is chapter 8. It's, it's actually one of the greatest chapters in the entire Word of God. I mean, definitely in the top 10. Romans 8 is a summation of the doctrines dealing with salvation. The two natures, as a matter of fact, the two natures are the subject of the first 14 verses that we've read this morning twice already. The greatest promises in the entire New Testament on eternal security is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. And the second coming is even mentioned in the particular chapter. Now, leading up to chapter 8, this is the outline that we find. In Romans chapter 5, we find uh, that it compares Adam's death with Christ's death. In Romans chapter 6, we see Christ's death is related to the spiritual death of the Christian to sin and to the flesh. In Romans chapter 7, it reveals the relation to the spiritual death of the Christian to sin and the flesh. So by the time we get to Romans chapter 8, we find that this chapter is dealing with the relation of the death of the Christian to the future. It is a unique chapter, one of which establishes a few absolutes. And I said absolutes today. Beloved, our culture does not appreciate nor like absolutes. When you tell the average person in the world today that this is an absolute, then 
Let's go back to John 3. You must be born again. This is an absolute. They will reject that. And they'll reject it by using this phrase. Well, that works for you. No. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Another great chapter, John 14, verse 6. So, beloved, there are some absolutes that we find in Romans chapter 8 that establish us, that really and truly, that we see that is in the front verses today. As a matter of fact, one of those absolutes are found in, uh, found in uh, uh, Romans 8, verse 1, where it says there is no condemnation, which is the topic of today's sermon. But we find another absolute in the last verse that we led, read in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This absolute establishes the fact that we are, as saved, born-again individuals, those that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, we are, uh, we are sons of God today. Not going to be, not will be, could be, should be, but we are sons of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as uh, received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Guys, that is an absolute that cannot be argued with, it cannot be uh, twisted, it cannot be turned, and even though men try to do that today, it cannot be moved away from its absolute beauty and its absolute truth. And by all means, that's a positive absolute. If we say today there, are, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, that is a positive, I mean that's a hyper-positive absolute in our life. Yet we find another absolute that is negative in verse 8 of our chapter. Saying, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, in our flesh today, meaning the unconverted portion of either a saved individual or a lost person outright today, cannot under any circumstances, the old man, the sinful nature, that which is separated from God, cannot in any way please God today. Amen? I mean, it doesn't matter how many warm jackets you pass out. It doesn't matter how, many, uh, uh, how much food you feed to the homeless. It doesn't matter how many charities you establish. I think most of the charities in our world today, especially under the religious guys, are nothing but a scam. And if you're giving to them, you're being fooled by them. Amen? I know that hurts, but that's just the way it is, okay? God established His church for Christians to give through the local New Testament church. Not some lame charity out there that's that's taking about 99.9% .9 off the top and feeding themselves, okay? So let's just leave that where it is right now. Now, I know there's good charities out there. I understand that. But I'm telling you right now, you find where the money goes, all right, before you start giving. And it does a supplement your tithe and your, and your giving back to God and your mission support. You, you can't rob the church and rob God by giving out warm, warm, warm blankets man, and food. Again, that's a, that's a rent for another day, I guess. We cannot please God in the flesh. Outside of Jesus Christ, it is impossible to do so. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Without faith today, we can't please God Himself at all. But what faith is Paul referring to? Because everyone has faith. Matter of fact, the uh, the November Faith Rex, we covered that very topic. What is faith? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is your conduit to salvation. 
Faith is that what brings you to the grace that God has given to mankind. Faith is the only way you receive the unmerited favor with God for the eternal, the eternal salvation of your soul and the forgiveness of sins. That's what faith does. Again, everyone has faith of some sort. Matthew chapter 17, we see this great example of where Jesus Christ rebuked the disciples, calling them the faithless and perverse generation because he could not heal this particular uh, young man. They could not cast that devil out of him. We read in the very chapter, they asked, why can we do that in verse 20? Because of your unbelief, Jesus said. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, nothing shall be impossible unto you. What kind of faith is that? Jesus is not telling them that they are to have small faith as a grain of a mustard seed. But a grain of a mustard seed is only good. It only serves its purpose. It only does anything that it was intended to do when it's planted in the proper soil. That's how the power comes to the grain of the mustard seed. Your faith today cannot be in you. It cannot be in a 12-step program. It can't be in a seven steps to joy. It can't be in a five leaps of wonder. It cannot be in any of those things today. It cannot be in your own ability, your education, your heritage. None of those things. Your faith, if you're going to please God, must be in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen, amen. The reason we find this, guys, is very obvious. In verse 7 of our text, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Our carnal mind, that word carnal means flesh. Where do you, that's where we get the word carnivore. A carnival is a flesh fest. That's what it is. That's what that word means. It's a compound word. It's a festival celebrating the flesh. And so carnal mind is an enemy of God. It's against God. It's a completely against the nature of God. And these are some of the absolutes that we find in Romans chapter 8. But there's one more absolute that I want us to look at this morning. And this will occupy the topic for the rest of the sermon. And we know the verse quite well, and I'm going to lean toward the fact that the majority of people in our world today has misappropriated or misinterpreted to this verse. I mean, it's one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian, this verse we're going to look at. And it's found in our opening verse. Romans in chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But we need to know what we're looking at within this verse. We need to know... What condemnation by, this, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul is referring to. You see, we need to understand that what we're looking at here is a different condemnation than what is referred to by Jesus Christ in John chapter 5 and verse 24. Jesus says in John 5 verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come in condemnation, but is passed from death, Unto life. Beloved, we understand that, that it's obvious that the condemnation of John 5.24 is an eternal condemnation in hell. It is something that if you do not believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, that is an eternal damnation into hell's fire. A place that was created for the devil and his angels. If, if, if a man is in Christ, 
There is no, there is zero, there is zilch, eternal condemnation, no matter how in the world he walks. So there's a difference, though, in the second half of Romans 8.1. To fully understand the verse and the context, guys, we've already given the outline of the previous chapters leading up to Romans chapter 8, which helps us understand what is the difference in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, in the second half. You see, chapter 7 of Romans is a discussion of the two natures in the life of the believer. The life of the believer. Verses 17 to 25 talk about the conduct of the believer and the conflict between uh, walking in the flesh or, or what the flesh wants to do versus what the new man in Christ wants to do. That's Romans 7. That's that battle. So chapter 8 is a continuation of the same line of thought. And get this with me, if you will, this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 has nothing to do at all with an unbeliever getting saved. It is referring to the conduct of the already saved. The theme is the believer getting victory over sin in their life. And I ask you this question this morning. Are you sat here today in this nice warm auditorium? No, you're not. You're sat here in this nice cold auditorium. But you have victory over sin this morning. So the condemnation of Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is not the same condemnation of John chapter 5 verse 24, which is an eternal damnation. Our text this morning is a, is a reference to the temporal condemnation, condemnation, one that is paid in the flesh. How do I know that? Keep looking in your, your chapter there. Look in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 tells us, for to be carnally minded is death. So let me ask you a question here. If that be the case, can a Christian today be carnal? Can they be carnal? Certainly they can. First, uh, First Corinthians in chapter 3 Verses 1 and 3 says, And I, brethren, that's speaking to saved, born-again people, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He later on says, For ye are yet carnal. He doesn't tell them they lost their salvation. He doesn't tell them they're not born again. So if a Christian does not live right, they can be condemned to a physical death by God for the way he or she is living without going to an eternal damnation in hell fire. Condemnation is another word. It's another form of the word damnation. And again, the word damned and damnation as used by the scriptures do not always mean a person described as in going to hell. Mark 16, 16 is very clear. It says damned to hell. So it makes it very clear. Yet Romans 14, verse 23 tells us, he that doubteth is damned if he, will, if he eat. Because he eateth not of faith, and for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So just like I asked a question just a moment ago, can a Christian be carnal? And we know that is true. Have you ever doubted in your life? I know I've used this example time and time again. I'll use it yet again. Does anyone in here today, do you doubt that you have a hundred million pounds in the bank? Anybody doubting that you have a hundred million pounds in the bank today? Now, one person is going to doubt whether they have $100 million in the bank. Because the fact of the matter is, we don't. None of us has. 100. If you do, let's, uh, I'll like to talk to you after church. Amen? No. 
you know, we got a house next door we want to buy, okay? And uh, so we can be warm. No, so we don't doubt what we do not have. But as a child of God, as a born-again believer, there are times in your salvation where you have doubted, did I really make it? Am I really saved? At least once in your life. If anybody tells you they've never doubted their eternal salvation from the moment they got saved to the moment they are right now, I'm going to struggle with that. Because human nature, human nature demands otherwise. So I'm going to ask you this question. Since you doubted your salvation, does that make you lost or saved? It doesn't make you anything. It makes you human. I've done that. I've gone back and evaluated exactly what I did on the 31st of December 1990. Why? Because of the way I lived afterwards. Have I gone to the altar in times past, years, a couple years after that, and just made sure everything was... Yeah, I have. But my faith, guys, is not in my words. My faith is not in my feelings. My faith is not in my actions. My faith is in the promise of the Word of God. That if I believe this, if I confess this, I am eternally sealed. And therefore, my salvation rests in the Lord Jesus Christ today. So you can, as a Christian, be carnal. You can doubt. As a Christian, you can stumble in your faith. 1 Corinthians 8 9 says, But take heed, lest by any means that's liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You can defile your conscience today. And 1 Corinthians 8 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto the hour eat, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But guys, I'm not saying it's ideal. I'm not saying I support it. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do for, to, to have those things in your life. What I am saying, that if you do stumble, if you do doubt, if you do those things, you are still a brother in Christ. You are still saved and born again. Does that make sense to you this morning? Pertaining to eternal damnation. So the word condemned means to legally or morally put a thing down. And again, I want you to see both uses, the temporal and the eternal. We see it when we partake in the Lord's, the Lord's table, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32. But when you are judged, we are chastened, that's another word, of, of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. That's the condemnation that the world is headed for, which is, is damnation or condemnation in hell's fire. See, the beauty of the theme, the thought in its entirety, is those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation in the eternal. Those that walk after the Spirit who are in Christ, there is no temporal condemnation in the physical. No matter what we do or have done in our life, in the past, we may suffer loss in the judgment seat of Christ, but the beauty that God has given you and I today that believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, there is no condemnation in eternal hellfire. For those who walk in the Spirit of God, there is no condemnation in the physical. And it doesn't mean God is always going to do that. I don't ever want our people to become those people that when something happens tragic to a Christian, they step back and lift up their nose and go, well, they must not have been living right. That doesn't, it doesn't mean, we don't know that. We're not, we don't have the mind of God. 
I know, I know wicked men that have lived lived a hundred years of age. It doesn't mean they were any more right before God or wrong, you understand. But God can condemn us in the flesh if we walk out after the Spirit. What I'm throwing out to you is don't take the chance. Don't risk it, if you will. But I want you to think about the word no the words no condemnation. As we're going to settle into our sermon here and be finished here in just a few moments. I want you to think this morning about what it truly means in your life to have no condemnation. Think about the gravity of that statement, the peace that it should bring to you, the joy that should rest in your heart. Did you know in, in 2019, 301 million people were living with some type of anxiety disorder? Including 58 million children and adolescents. Some type of anxiety. I don't, guys, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I can't, I mean, I can empathize. That's the best thing that I can do. But I've never been in that situation. I've been through some dark and horrific times. I have gone through things in my life that would make the, the, the hair on the back of your neck stand up and by all rights you keep you would keep you up all night long. Listen, Hollywood ain't got nothing on me. I have been through some tragic, tragic things. But what I've never dealt with was social anxiety. I've never dealt with this irrational fear of everything, except spiders. I understand that, which is normal. I've never dealt, I, I, I don't know what it's like to live like that. And I'm not judging them. I'm not looking down upon them. If that's you, guys, you're one of the 301 million, okay? Over 84% of our population live every single day with some sort of irrational fear. 84% of our population are dealing with an irrational fear of some sort. Over 90% of those fears are dealing with something that is out of their control. It's dealing with something that has never happened, may not ever happen, something in the future. More than one-third of young people today live in a fear, live in fear of crime. Now, in our lily white, white picket fence world that we live in here at Wells, and I do believe that's what it is, there's probably not one person in this congregation right here that when they get out of their car to walk into their, their, their door at night are looking around their shoulders like this right here, afraid that somebody's going to jump on this and that. You've never dealt with that. I've lived in situations like that. I've been in places like that. I've been in situations where I know that, you know what, at any given moment right now, I'm going to get shot, stabbed, or killed. You don't know what that's like. Now, why I'm saying that here this morning, this is the reality of how people are living in our world today, living in fear. And yet, for those that are in Christ Jesus, our Lord, there's no condemnation. There's no damnatory sentence to a devil's head. There's no unrecoverable condemnation that can be reverted. It's revoked in our life, done and dusted. You say, why am, I, why am I saying that this morning? I'm saying that this morning 
Because you should be living in more peace and more joy than you currently are. You're allowing the weights of something that has never happened to you a day in your life to hold you back from experiencing the joy that Jesus Christ is begging to give you. All because you believe in Jesus. See, and do you know what that means, guys? Have you really taken on the volume and the depth of the beauty that there is no condemnation in your life? I mean, it means that every one of the over 8 billion souls that are living on this planet right now have a choice to make, a choice that you make, a choice that is theirs and theirs alone and has nothing to do with works whatsoever. John, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to have this peace and this joy, this, if you want to have this rest in your life, then you need to start exercising what, you, what decision you made when you heard the word of God and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. I think there's a story that we're going to look at and we're going to finish up the message this morning in Luke 23. You can turn there if you'd like to. The verses should be on the screen, but you can turn there if you'd like. One of the greatest contrasts of this absolute fact that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus is found in the conversation at the cross of Christ. Better yet, the conversations, because they are plural. Luke in 23 tells us this. It says that when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, and offering him vinegar, verse 37, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him, and letters of Greek and, of, and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which were hanged uh, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Shalt thou be with me in paradise. The first thing I want you to see this morning is I want you to see the conversation that occurred. Verse 39, And one of the malefactors uh, which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself. This criminal guy who was just found guilty for his own crimes listened to the, to the mocking, mocking of the world. He listened to the rulers uh, and rulers and heard them cry out, saying, Hey, he saved others, let him save himself. If he, if he be the Christ, the chosen God. He heard those words. And he began to repeat them. He gave heed to the soldiers who mocked our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his final hours, who nailed him to the tree, who partook in his scourging, who rendered Jesus to be patterned a torn body upon, and put him up there as an unrecognizable 
piece of meat. You ever thought about that sign that was placed above the cross? You ever thought about why they put that in three different languages? It was a testimony of who he was. We find the answer in Isaiah 52, 14. And as many were astounded at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. By the time they finished with Jesus Christ and nailed him to that tree, he was unrecognizable of any sort of man whatsoever. It wasn't Pilate just taking the mick out of the, the Pharisees. It was a testimony that I've done what you asked me to do. What began with the conversation led to a conviction. Verse 40 says, But the other, the other answer rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing in this. Now, guys, I, I, I am not sure where in the world this other thief uh, got his information of Jesus, his innocence. I have no idea where he got it from. I mean, maybe there's a chance that he was within earshot when Pilate said, hey, I find nothing wrong with this man. Uh, maybe he was there. I, I don't know. Maybe he was privy to the wonderful things that Jesus had done in his life, the, the healings and the feeding and the raising of dead and blessing folk. Maybe he knew about that. Maybe he, it was just a pure, good, old-fashioned Holy Spirit conviction. Amen. I understand the dispensation we're in when Jesus was being crucified. Holy Spirit of God could still come and go as it will. Maybe the Holy Spirit just took the liberty to, to, to touch this man and bear witness him that this was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he was perfect. I don't know. No one knows the answer. Here's what we do know. We do know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We do know that this conviction brought forth a confession which is needed for salvation. Verse 42 says, And he said unto Jesus, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What did he say? He, what was the first thing that he said? And he said unto Jesus, what's that very next word? Lord. We go to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, over and over and over to lead someone to salvation. And the Bible tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what's the next two words? The Lord. And then it says, believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We always want to run in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. We want to get to that salvation part. We want to get everyone back on the back end of that verse. Just believe and just say these words and, and you'll be saved. And the reality of it is this. Let me, let me tell you this very clear this morning. You can believe that Jesus Christ was great and wonderful and the Savior of mankind, Christ the anointed one, that he died for your sins, was buried in the grave, and rose again. But if he is not God in your heart, you will die and split hell wide open. Your sins cannot be forgiven until you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, as God. Then believe on what he did for you. Because if he's not God and died for your sins, he just died as another man and came back. That may be harsh for you this morning. And I hope it is. Because that's the Bible. And that's the truth. This is the confession we see on the cross this day. This malefactor believed by faith in who and what Jesus was. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He opened up the door. Lord, remember me. Man, that's not beautiful enough. If that's not beautiful enough, 
We tie the bow on top to really see it unfold before our eyes. Jesus says to this dying, convicted thief, someone, listen to me carefully, we're done right here, someone who has never done anything for Jesus in his life and someone who would never, ever, ever do anything for him. No work. He'll never witness. He'll never walk. He'll never perform any good works in this world today whatsoever for Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus turns to him and says, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Man, can you imagine what happened that day? Just stay with me here just for a minute. Man, I'm early. During this particular dispensation, Paradise is in the heart of the earth. We know that. It's confirmed in Luke chapter 16. When Lazarus and the rich man died, Lazarus was taken into Abraham's bosom, which is paradise, and the rich man was taken into hell. There's a great gulf fixed between the two where these couldn't pass and that one couldn't pass, da 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 da, da. So we know where paradise was. We know when Jesus died, he went to the heart of the earth and preached unto men. We know that when he rose again, he took captivity and took them captive. Meaning he took those in paradise to heaven with him when he put the blood upon mercy. Right? So we know that. Or when he ascended on high outside of Bethany. He had to take the blood of mercy first. So I'm saying all that to say this. This man shows up. This convicted criminal. Who asked Jesus Christ to just remember him when he comes. Into his kingdom. He shows up in paradise. Now you see, can you picture Abraham with me right now? It's Abraham's bosom. He's there. Abraham had, a, Abraham had a conversation with the rich man, didn't he? Lazarus was being comforted. So can you see Abraham? Here he is. He's kind of in charge. And he says, what are you doing here? I don't know. Abraham looks at this criminal. He goes, what did you do to get here? Nothing. Well, how in the world did you make it into paradise? Shouldn't you be over there in the other place in your counterpart? Because I don't know. Well, then who said you could get here? That guy did. He was on the other side of us. He was in the middle of us and on the cross. And I just asked him to remember me. I confessed to his Lord and this is his kingdom. And he said I could come. Can you imagine with me the joy? That would have been in that criminal's heart. I don't know what the thief did. I know he's a thief. I don't know what he did, what all the crimes he was guilty of. But what I do know today is that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I know for a fact that that thief went to paradise and later on went to heaven with our Lord and Savior simply because Jesus Christ says there's no condemnation. His condemnation in the flesh was sealed. He was paying for the crimes that he had committed. But now in the eternal, there is no condemnation. None whatsoever. There's no works he was going to do to get him there. There was no works he had done. There was no name that he could have had. There was nothing he had that was going to do anything past that moment in time but die and go to paradise for one simple fact. He confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. 
So, beloved, I want to leave you with this thought today. You're here today and you've made your decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have done that in the times past, there is no eternal condemnation in your heart. That should put your heart at ease. That should put your heart at rest. That should put your heart at peace. That should give you clarity of thought and sleep at night. That right there, my friend, is the greatest gift you will ever receive. But the second half of Romans 8.1 doesn't deal with the eternal. It deals with the present. That's why it's taken out of most modern versions. The second half is taken out because they're afraid that it teaches a work salvation. It doesn't if they study the context out of the previous chapters. Are you living the best life you can for Jesus Christ? Better, let me ask you this question, and I've, I've got to be finished. Are you today the best church member you could be? What would the church be like if every single church member was just like you? I was asked that question nearly 30 years ago. Are you the best witness you can be? Are you living the life that you need to live for the Lord Jesus Christ? Every time we step away and every time we live carnally, which before you think carnal living is sensuality and drinking and all that, I mean, yeah, it is, but that's not what is there. Every time we put something in front of the Lord Jesus Christ and our commitment and faith and trust in it for Him, be it His local church, be it whatever, we're telling our friends and our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, it's not that important. We all have a who's your one, or we have multiple who's your ones. And we're praying for them, we're begging and pleading for them to, to get saved and or come to the house of God. But every single time we shortchange the Lord, be it through commitment or faithfulness, we tell them, I've taken the no condemnation in the eternal, but I'm not worried about the temporal. We tell them it's not that important. So, beloved, I want to put your heart at peace today. And I want you to be at rest that there is no eternal condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. But I do want to remind you this morning to walk in the Spirit. To live in the Spirit. To talk in the Holy Spirit of God that all that we do and say would come as becoming the gospel of Christ. We you bow your heads this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for who and what you are, for all that you've done, for your many wonderful blessings. And I want to publicly thank you today for saving my wretched soul, for forgiving me of my sins and eternally sealing me from that moment forward, even when times I did not deserve it, not that any of us have. Father, I also thank you for the ability to come back to that moment of conviction where a confession was made true, to place my faith and trust and dependence in the precious word of God, that we have a Savior, a sinless Savior, who died on the cross for us, who was buried in the grave according to the scripture and risen again the third day, who is our Lord, our God, our Jesus Christ. We ask all those things in his name today. Amen.